breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me this week and uh, took a week off last week. Hope you all stayed well, stayed healthy, and productive. We have a lot to cover on the gamut of issues that we cover on this podcast, and uh, thank you for joining me. Please share uh, this podcast. Find me on the the, the uh, web on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio. This week, we're going to talk about Austria. Austria is quickly evolving into one of the leading countries in facing political Islam and Islamism. Are they doing it the right way? What's going on and what has happened? Why isn't the general media covering it? Some of the same answers I've given you before, but we're going to get really deep into what is the right strategy against the ideology that radicalizes Muslims? What is Austria doing right and what are they doing wrong? We've talked about France. Now the fight broadens to Austria. We'll also talk about this app that the American military supposedly is using to locate Muslims around the planet. What's behind all this? Is this really an issue or is CARE just uh, uh, trying to, again, fearmonger about Muslims and what faces us? Last, the Biden administration, we talked last time about once they take office, if they do, when they do, uh, they will... um, face an Iran that will be very happy to welcome their changes, embrace them, unclench the fist, as Obama said. Why is that? But first, we're going to spend most of the time today talking about Austria. Sebastian Kurtz, the the current leader of Austria, Chancellor of Austria, was Chancellor from December 17 to May 2019, and now has again been the Chancellor since January 20. He tweeted out this week, he said, in the fight against political Islam, we will create an offense called political Islam in order to be able to take action against those who are not terrorists themselves, but who create the breeding ground for such. Let me reiterate for you. They are going to create an offense or a crime, if you will, called political Islam. Now, many of you may say, oh, this is music to our ears. Is it? Is this how we win the war? Definitely, he's diagnosed one of the first leaders, in addition to Macron and a few others that are not as high up, that begins to diagnose the cancer that we face. But is the treatment that he's invoking in just this tweet from earlier this week, is it correct? I was actually invited on TRT World with David Frost with a panel that included an Islamist imam out of the human rights, so-called Islamic Human Rights Commission in the UK, and a representative of the Islamist-supported and Islamist-led Bridge Initiative out of Georgetown, which has written libelous material about my work, but we had a pretty interesting debate on TRT World for about 30 minutes about Austria banning political Islam. I'd ask you to look for it. It's on our website at AIFdemocracy.org. And it's also at David Frost's website at TRT World on his program called Roundtable. 
But today I want to share with you sort of my perspective on this whole issue. Yes, Muslim need, Muslims need to lead. They need to be assets, not victims. Or they become liabilities as the Kurtz administration, Chancellor Kurtz is beginning to identify that those who are believers in political Islam, just like Macron talked about Islamism as being a separatist ideology, those who identify primarily as Islamists who believe in the ideology of political Islam, that's not commensurate, that's not compatible with Western governments. Kurtz does get it. And yes, the cause, whether violent or nonviolent, the non the violent Islamists are bred by nonviolent Islamists. He is right. But is his solution is his solution correct? We'll come back to that. But first, let's look at what's going on in Austria. Austria is a country of about 9 million people. 700,000 of them are Muslim. Most of them are from Turkey or Bosnia, Bosniaks, if you will. And they've gone from a very, very minuscule population of Muslims to nearly 10%. So about 700,000 of that 9 million now is Muslim. And over the past five to ten years, they've begun to see some radicalization. They've had folks... Now, this attack that happened just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, was literally, I believe, the first attack on Austrian soil. And it was in Vienna on November 2nd. An attacker killed four people in central Vienna before being shot dead by the police. 20 others, including a police officer, were wounded. 20-year-old Kushtim Fejzulai, a dual national of Austria and North Macedonia, had a previous conviction for trying to join ISIS in Syria and had been given early release in December. And so, Austrian leadership then responds swiftly and quickly, they begin to deploy a 1,000 police and intelligence service officers raided homes, businesses, and associations allegedly tied to the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas, seizing millions of euros in cash across four provinces. Now, prosecutors insisted when they did this that those raids were not connected to the attack on November 2nd, but were the result of an investigation stretching back more than a year. Now, again, this response, if you will, they claim is not related, but they're beginning to buckle down heavily on Islamist groups. And that includes raids, imprisonment, and arrests. And why are they doing this? What is behind it? They see the connection. For those of you who followed history, the recent history is that this attack in Vienna followed an attack in Nice, France, in which four people were killed. It's a multifaceted issue. Now remember, this individual was not a lone wolf. He was a known wolf. That term is becoming all too familiar, isn't it? Known wolf, in which he was just released. A radical that was known, not de-radicalized, not followed appropriately, so on the one hand, these governments are simply not following those who are known to be militants, 
jihadis close enough to protect their societies. Over and over again, we see from the Christmas vehicular jihad in Germany many years ago to this jihadist. These are folks that had been arrested, served some time, and then released. We saw the same thing as they were released from Italian prisons, from German prisons, from French prisons, only to commit more. Returned from ISIS service as radical Salafi jihadis slaughtering and murdering innocents in Syria and then come in and they get repatriated because they have a right to come back. So on the one hand, they're weak. Their immigration policies are in many ways suicidal to their national identity. This is not against immigration. If you're going to come back to a country, if you're going to believe in that country, you should embrace its citizenship, and not only its citizenship as a French national, as an Austrian national, but its ideology, what it means to be Austrian. And I think this is at the core of what Chancellor Kurtz, what President Macron and so many are trying to come to terms with is how do they make sure their citizens, blind to national origin, religion, etc., are faithful to the national contract of that society. Now, I'll tell you that the American experiment has a much better chance at success because America was based purely on an idea of equality and religious freedom first and national identity based under a constitutional republic with a Bill of Rights versus Western countries in Europe while ultimately they evolved to be secular democracies, have interwoven into their national identity a racial concept, be it based on that unity of language, be it German, French, English, whatever it might be. But their identity, their national identity, was not tied primarily to democracy, but rather democracy evolved from a racial identity. But now, as the challenge to Western democracy seems to have multiple fronts, one of the primary ones being that face, that battlefront against political Islam, this is a major, major battlefront because a quarter of the world's population is Muslim. 56 countries have a Muslim majority. And what are they going to do? Right now we're doing this whack-a-mole program where Islamists are coming back and forth and join radical groups and become violent jihadis. And they know, and most of us agree, that they should be following closely and stringently and potently arresting and convicting violent jihadis. Salafi jihadis, fundamentalists. But what do you do with the nonviolent component? Those who preach conspiracy theories, preach anti-Semitism or hate, but yet don't call for arms, don't call for violence, don't call for terrorist acts, and actually condemn terrorist acts, as we saw this this debate within the Islamist movement of Muslim Brotherhood versus Al-Qaeda, um, the, the uh, nonviolent Islamists in Egypt that claimed they wanted to run a democratic government under Morsi, but on the other hand, also apologized and defended and sort of turned a blind eye to acts of violence against churches, against minorities, Baha'is, and others. Now remember, 
Austria has long in its history been right at that gateway between Muslim-majority countries in Europe. As, as written in media this week, beyond the cliché images of a placid alpine country with a capital that regularly ranks first in the quality of life rankings, Austria has faced levels of jihadi radicalization because of the close migration of Muslims from Bosniak, Bosnia countries, Macedonia, and others in the Caucasus. The number of foreign fighters who left Austria to join the Islamic State, as many as 300, is one of the highest per capita in Europe. It is home to a large, sophisticated jihadi scene created by Arab militants who found refuge in Austria since the 80s. And it goes on to talk about the platforms that they've used and combined with Germany and other countries in radicalizing Muslims to go serve with ISIS in Syria and then come back. The flow between Austria and the Balkans is constant and involves militants, radical preachers, extremist literature, funds, and weapons. There are also frequently ties to Albanian organized crime networks. And equally concerning is the problem of radicalization of some segments of the Chechen diaspora. In this article, written by Lorenzo Vedino in Foreign Policy, as I've talked to you about it before, talks about the fact that some objections known are coming from Islamist actors and supporters can be fairly easily dismissed, but there are broad and more justified concerns that ordinary Muslims in Austria, as in France, might perceive the words of Chancellor Kurtz and Macron as being not against jihadism and Islamism, as they insist they are, but rather against Islam and their Muslim identity. And more poignantly, the goal of undermining extremists whether violent or not, can only be achieved if the silent majority of Muslims support the effort and do not see themselves as targets. But if we coddle them and we worry so much about them being perceived as targets, we will never have our fight against political Islam and its theocratic ideas. Kurtz began back in fifteen looking at targeting foreign funding of mosques, foreign funding of imams. Good ideas, and I called it such five years ago. Then in 2019, the far-right government, as it's called, of Chancellor Kurtz implemented a hijab ban in primary schools. And it instituted a controversial ban of face veils. So it started to peg off things that it felt were related and intricately connected to the ideology of political Islam. But are they? Vedino's piece doesn't go on to connect what is the solution. How do you target political Islam without making it an offense? Which is where we started this conversation, right, folks? Chancellor Kurtz was making the idea an offense. And I have to tell you that that is not a way to win this war. Remember, Kurtz tweeted out, he said, In the fight against political Islam, we will create an offense called political Islam in order to be able to take action against those who are not terrorists themselves, but who create the breeding ground for such. So he gets it. The diagnosis is correct, but the treatment is wrong. I could not more strongly believe this. Let's get into what exactly is political Islam, and then we'll know where we're at. But first... 
Again, let me premise this. In the United States, do you believe the Nazi party should be made illegal? Do you believe the KKK should be made illegal? Gatherings of such should be made illegal. The Supreme Court has ruled, and we've talked about this when we talk about free speech in Brandenburg versus Ohio, that the KKK, as horrific and as distasteful and inhuman as their ideology, we, as long as they're not preaching open violence and murder and and injury to others, their speech is protected. And I have to tell you, as much as that's the right thing to do, it is those with the most grotesque ideas and marginal ideas that we have to defend in order to protect the free speech of all. Moderate uh, ideas are not a threat, right? They're in the middle. It's those on the periphery that we need to defend. Again, back to Charlie Hebdo. Look what the radical Islamists did to a magazine that decided to depict the Prophet Muhammad in a way that offended many, if not most, Muslims. If we can't defend them, what kind of religion is that? What kind of religion of Islam is it that needs to slaughter people? Because speech, what people say or draw or believe, is something that threatens them. Do they think they're going to rush to Islam by force, by coercion, by fear? And this is the reason that free speech should be so so vigorously protected, because Nothing else works. Nothing else is human. Number one, if you want to monitor hate speech, you do it above ground. You you can see it through the sunlight of its expression and defeat it with the antiseptic of sunlight. If you push it underground, it will only radicalize. It will only make it more fueled because they will create networks that are subversive and like, like cockroaches eat its way into the foundation of your country. And that's what happens with any radical idea, be it Nazism, fascism, racism, whatever it might be. As distasteful as it is, they have a right to say it so that we can observe it and defeat it. The way to defeat bad ideas is through good ideas. The way to protect your country from threats is to expose them and counter them. What is political Islam? Let's talk about that. Yes, it is a threat. Yes, it is a cancer. It's not compatible with freedom, but neither is communism and neither is fascism. Political Islam is the ideology of Islamism. It is essentially the belief system that the personal faith of Islam and the personal practice of the worship of God is much more than a personal faith. Political Islamists or Islamists believe that it is rather also a national and global political movement, specifically a political party with a platform that when instituted will ultimately create an Islamic state. Political Islam, as an ideology, hopes that Islamic states will join to form a global caliphate, one together in a federated union of Islamic identifying states and a caliphate no different than the organization of Islamic cooperation, right? Those 56 countries that vote as a block that work together in the UN against the West, against non-Muslim majority countries in a supremacist way. Islamists who are activists for political Islam also notably see the legal system of the state as guided primarily by Sharia, which is Islamic jurisprudence in all aspects. And they see the nation's identity as Islamic. How is that? What do you mean by national identity? We mean the flag, 
right? So I see my identity as an American under the American flag, why we defend the flag, why we don't want to see it attacked or burned. Yet, that's part of free speech, right? But we don't want to see that because we unite under that common universal principle of constitutional republic identified by the flag. So the flag of an Islamic state always has some connection to Islam, the faith. They reject secular national identities, not under religion, as godless, as hedonistic. So Islamists see the Qur'an, ultimately, in their Islamic jurisprudence, as the source of law, not a source. And that's one of the main differences between Islamists and non-Islamists. People say, the Islamists say that, oh, Jasser's, he's, he's against Islam. I never said that our holy books are not a source of law. Just as in Western law, common law has a lot of underpinnings that come from morality that we learn from our Ten Commandments and our Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition. But it's a source of law. It's not the source of law. So, should they ban political Islam? Well, political Islam... Certainly, if you have a country run by Islamic law that has an identity of Islam, no matter how much the Islamists try to tell you, like Shadi Hamid does in his book, Islamic Exceptionalism, that it can that it can come to terms with modernity, that it can have its own modernization and 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 evolution into the twenty first century of equality, that is BS. That is nonsense. The reason it is nonsense is America, for example, determined and learned that ultimately we are under God. Yes, you can find universality of a common ummah. Ummah in Arabic means faith community, but also means state. So you find a common ummah under universal values, but not under one faith. So as a result, the very devout Christians, that included deists, but Christians of our founding fathers, did not include the word Christianity because A, they didn't want it to be exclusive, but B, they didn't want to fight about whose interpretation of Christianity it was. And those rights don't come from Christianity as a faith tradition, but rather from God. Now, we can argue who's God and what God and which God. But the bottom line is from God, a universal, our universal creator, that we unite under in principle defend all equally to choose reject or accept god and all the laws that come from it so islamists don't believe in that kind of generic universalist concept they believe in a national identity that is superior when it's run by islamic law and under the quran as the constitution not a human document like the american constitution as islamists always remind us and i've debated them so many times about so when they come to the West, when they come to Austria or France, the Islamists, not, not all Muslims, but Islamists, come and say, oh, we'll accept the laws of your land. We, we are not in the land of Islam. We're in the land of contract, the land of war, or they've modernized that and called it the land of contract. And so we will accept your laws. We're not anarchists. But if we become a majority, we will reverse that. We believe Islamic law is better. Now, when I debated these guys on TRT earlier this week, 
they scoffed at all oh, Muslims never I mean this is such fear mongering they're only certain few percent they're not going to take over well first it was one percent Austria didn't really care too much then it became five percent now it's eight percent so that numbers are growing and then they ghettoize into certain areas and within those systems they run separatist movements of control and if they do that then they don't adapt to the reform into the ideas of Western secular liberal democracy and they create enclaves of Islamist breeding grounds of ideology that are problematic. So Kurtz responds, France responds and says, we're going to make these laws illegal. France didn't necessarily do that, but at least Austria has. And how can they ban a whole, ban a whole political ideology? They can't. They can't ban a whole political ideology. But they're trying to, uh, I think, somehow figure out a quick fix because they see bursting at the seams the radicalization of individuals coming from Bosnia, Macedonia, and especially infused and led by the Arab radicals of Islamists of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and others. At our anti-Islamist think tank, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, we believe that bad ideas can only be defeated by good and better ideas. Yes, we're strongly anti-Islamist and dedicated to defeating the theocracy of Islamists. Theocracy never works. It always fails. But we need to prove that to Muslims, not coerce them and force them with a stick into believing it. That doesn't work. And by the way, the battle for freedom in Austria or in America is not only going to benefit Austrians and Americans, it will then infuse a new Islam that can transform Massive movements that are controlling countries like the Islamic Republic of Iran and Pakistan and the Wahhabism of Saudi Arabia and all over where tens to hundreds of millions of Muslims are driven by an Islamist movement of supremacism that needs to be countered. Yes, we should be strongly Islamists and we are. But when you push them underground and ban it, repeatedly it has shown to make it fuel. Let's look at Muslim-majority countries that tried that, by the way. In the Shah's Iran, when they coerced and tried to defeat political Islam, it grew up as a revolution underground, and then boom, in 79, now we have had 40-plus years of Islamist theocracy in Iran because it was pushed underground for so long. Turkey, 80 years of secular nationalist Turkism, if you will, from Kemal Ataturk, pushed Islamism underground, fueled it, and then the AKP, Turkish version of the Muslim Brotherhood, takes over a little after 2000. And since then, they've continued in control. And as, as Erdogan says, when he was mayor of Istanbul before he became president and after 2000, he said, democracy is like a train. You get on it until you get where you want to go, and then you get off. And that's what he's done. He's gotten off. Now he's prosecuting professors and, and so many others in order to keep Islamists in power, removing symbols of Christianity and other minority traditions across Turkey. Tunisia, pre-2011, the king, a little more benevolent than most, but he pushed Islamism underground and Nahda then wins an election and takes over. 
But Tunisia is proving to be a silver lining. Why? Because the Islamists lost in the second round elections in late 2014. And as a result now, they're rebranding themselves, claiming that they're not political Islamists, but they are. But the majority party right now are not Islamists. And they defeated Anada. Egypt, Muslim Brotherhood took over after 60 years of NDP, National Democratic Party, fascist control. And sure enough, when they took over, it was much worse. It was the Muslim Brotherhood on steroids running the country into the ground even more so than previous dictators. And that's because they pushed it underground through dictatorship. And the examples continue. So in the West, where the UDHR, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, is enshrined, free speech is a part of that. France's approach, for example, and the defense of laïcité is somewhat better than what we're seeing in Austria, in that they have an ideology that they're trying to push as a better alternative to political Islam, but it still has some notable problems in that it's attacking public expressions of religion that I think a, a hyper-secularism will not win against political Islam when it comes to getting the hearts and minds of Muslims. And one of the things, and this is what I want to end on in this conversation, one of the things that comes out is, if I'm talking to Muslims, I'll tell them, I tell you, listen, yes, we we need to be vigilant that the societies that we love that are democracies do not throw away their own principles in order to defeat political Islam. Not only does it not work, it runs against the free speech foundations of their societies. But we cannot be victims. We cannot say that uh, always that somehow we're going to correct that wrong by simply carrying the mantle of victimization because we own this. A lot of what is happening uh, and we see in Vienna, we saw in Nice and elsewhere in the past few weeks and elsewhere, that w we have been so silent against political Islam and its radicalization and supremacism that that silence has fostered a radicalization and now our house is trying to be fixed for us because we've done nothing. So if you want non-Muslims to see us as the most important asset against political Islam, if you want non-Muslims to see free speech as an asset, not only as their own principles, but as an asset against the threat of theocracy, as it is an asset against communism and socialism and their own fascisms that might exist through Nazism, etc., then we need to begin movements to fight political Islam openly identify and marginalize Islamists openly from Arizona to Illinois to New York to France, Austria, all across the world. We need to begin to openly target the ideas of Islamism and not write apologetic books like Islamic exceptionalism like Shadi Hamid did with Brookings and Qatar and others. No, we need to target political Islam as an idea that is not only incompatible with Western ideas but is a failure and will fail. And then we will find them. Be, we will find countries like Austria developing, I think, much more functional responses. Because right now it's a very dysfunctional response. I think Chancellor Kurtz gets the diagnosis right, but he gets the treatment horrifically wrong. And they're swinging from too much apologetics and embracing of those that might hate them 
to too much police orientation against ideas rather than against the militants only. And and one of the in the debate I did on TRT, the Bridge Initiative apologist for Islamism said, "Well, it's just about jihad. Jihadism is a new phenomenon in the last century. It's it's this isn't part of Islam." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, seriously? It isn't part of Islam." When the Iranian military goes to war in Syria, it's a jihad. Even the secular Assadists, when their military is fighting as part of the Hezbollah support, etc., that's a jihad. When the Saudi military infused with Wahhabism, which is anti-Islamist, but still, when they go to war, it's a jihad. So when you have an Islamic Republic, an Islamic state identity, the military will go to war as a jihad. So if you're going to defeat jihadism, they keep talking about jihadis like it's some new phenomena. You have to defeat the idea of the Islamic State. Because as long as the state is driven by a central unifying concept of a flag of Islam and a constitution of Quran, then the wars will be justified by jihad. And you will never be able to defeat their supremacist mindset. A lot more to come on that because it's really a central part of why we're doing this program. And hopefully this conversation will pause, will bring you to pause and think about ways to look at the way to engage and defeat political Islam like we've never done before. Now, this week there was a story out of Vice about how apps have been used by the U.S. military as location data when uh, they aggregate population data. And listen, as a civil libertarian... I have a lot of problems with the government monitoring the location and positioning of citizens. And I think it's very helpful to have this stuff exposed and looked at. But I am going to look with a significant grain of salt that somehow this issue is simply about targeting Muslims. And by the way, when you talk about intelligence, let's look at uh, uh, CIA operations around the world or any FBI intelligence, military intelligence, etc. You can't The reason we do intelligence ops that involves individuals working their way into Iranian societies, Chinese societies, Russian societies, is because the other side does it. If we don't do it, we will be decimated. It's not necessarily a moral thing to lie about having agents out there and and, uh, have them lying about who they are, but is there any other way when they're Clearly, the position of these governments is to destroy Western societies. So this data, as we saw with TikTok and so many others, this data is being used by authoritarian regimes. And if we are going to keep our country safe, then certain aspects of that data may need to be used by our government. Now, are there protections? Are there guardrails? That needs to be discussed. But is it something that's targeting Muslims? And they said, because there's an app on Android called Muslim Pro, which I've downloaded before, it's a prayer app and has some Quranic passages and has, I think, 100 million or 90 million downloads across the world. 
because that app gives a location positioning, it then feeds into Locate X, Babel Street, and a few other companies that provide GPS positioning that somehow that's targeting Muslims. You can find many different interest groups that, whether it's sports enthusiasts that are keeping track of professional teams that download apps and want to see what the closest game to their location is, whether it's uh, certain cell phone, whatever it might be, you can find interest groups that share applications that they download, but it doesn't mean that the military is doing anything necessarily anti-Muslim. And that wasn't proven. And yet, sure enough, within a day, the Council on American Islamic Relations is pushing out press releases that the military is anti-Muslim and they and are targeting Muslim populations. Yes, this story needs to be talked about. Yes, we need to look at what these large companies, as were attempted to be done in hearings this week with Zuckerberg and with Jack from Twitter, even though I don't know how much is accomplished at these hearings, they are, are beginning to be held little accountable for some of the aggregate data that they do that influences elections, influences a lot of things. And now we find on the Biden administration that a lot of the Facebook execs are now moving over to work with him and his government. So, yeah, I'm concerned as a civil libertarian about this data. But to say that it's targeting Muslims... I think is absurd and there's no proof about it. And as the military responded in in Vice's piece, there's no evidence to show that it's being targeted because it's a faith population, but simply because it allows monitoring along with tons of other application data that all governments have been allowed to use, which, by the way, should cease. Why are American companies giving any data to the Chinese, to Russia, whatever it might be, How about doing some research on that? How about CARE sending out a press release about what the Iranian regime does does to track its populations or what the Saudis do or what other regimes are doing to target and imprison social media stars that are actually the only ones that have the future of reform? There's a great list at Penn, which is a far-left organization of the top 10 or top 20 imprisoned free speech activists on social media from the from Saudi Arabia unbelievable and you look at that list and how often does care defend any of them now it's worried about the US military tracking of data for location and positioning the bias is clear that they care more about advocating for islamist protections than they do about protecting freedom and liberty. All right, folks. We're out of time this week, but it's always great to be with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. We will talk more next week about what to expect and why the Iranian regime is so happy and giddy about the Biden administration potentially coming in to be in 2021. Find me online on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio. God bless. Have a safe and healthy Thanksgiving. We will talk again next week on the podcast Reform This and the Blaze Podcast Network.
Transform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.